So we've been doing this for the past nine years and the love has grown year after year. I'm actually building other centers, which is the Wise Kids, and I'm starting another one. It's another informal settlement because that's where I feel like the children are struggling. Hello and welcome to Real Reform for ECD podcast. I'm your host, Tsepo Manche. Real Reform for ECD is a movement advocating for holistic, well-funded, inclusive and quality early childhood development for all children in South Africa. This campaign calls for the Department of Basic Education to extend nutrition support to all ECD centres regardless of their registration status. In today's episode, I am joined by Tatiana Kazem and Yolisa Piliso, who will be guiding us through the research paper that is looking at the legal perspective on early nutrition. I'm Yolisa Piliso. I am a candidate legal practitioner at the Equal Education Law Center. I am fueled by people. I'm fueled by the idea of of trying to ensure that there is quality and accessible education for all in South Africa. I'm fueled by the idea of the constitution and how much it could do for us as a country and the improvement of the lives of all people in South Africa. My name's Tatiana Kazim. I am a legal researcher at the Equal Education Law Centre and I am fueled by the power and potential of the law in South Africa and particularly the constitution and also the passionate young activist lawyers who I work with, like Yolisa, who have the energy and the drive to turn that potential into a reality. My name is Dontlan Tlatsengwa. I'm based in Orange Farm, south of Joburg. I am a principal of two centres, um, Let and Play Daycare Centre and Wise Kids Daycare Centre. I'm also a practitioner. I'm fueled by children, nine years in the business, and I am loving the little ones. Thank you all for introducing yourselves and for being here today. To kickstart this conversation and the entire three-part mini-series showcasing the Right to Nutrition campaign, Ntantla, can you help us by defining early nutrition? Um, okay, Tsepo. So uh, according to my understanding, um, early nutrition is feeding the child nutritious food from birth, meaning from birth, if they're fully breastfeeding, they must breastfeed. And if they're taking formula, they must take formula until the age of six months. And then when they start solids, they must be introduced to nutritious meals. Thank you for grounding us in that definition. Could you please go on just to speak on the importance of early nutrition in young children's lives? And maybe if you can... Tell us the impact that you have seen in your community. Okay. So we were actually given porridge from an organization called JAM. And when they started giving us this porridge, the children reacted to the porridge. But we went to training for it. We knew that when they eat that porridge, the body will adjust to the porridge. But after two weeks, the children actually gained weight. They were healthier than when they didn't get this porridge from jam. So I would basically say that um, not eating well for children 
Number one, they, they, they can't learn without proper food. They can't um, play. They can't develop well physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, and spiritually without proper food. Because once you teach a child that hasn't eaten, especially in the morning, they tend to sleep, they don't play, they don't smell, they don't interact well with other children, with the practitioner as well. So it is important that the children are fed every day um, nutritious meals, not just pup and and gravy, but also um, we, we we must also teach our our parents what is uh, nutritious meals or a balanced meal um, for that matter. Thank you for that, Ntantla. Tatiana, I'd like to switch to you. Research has played such a pivotal role in laying the foundation for this Right to Nutrition campaign. However, we know that research on early childhood development, particularly in South Africa, is few and far between. So I'd like to hear just from your experience, how did you get into early childhood development research? So I am a legal researcher at the Equal Education Law Centre. And I think since around 2018, the Law Centre really started to realise that in our fight for equal access to quality education, a really important piece of the puzzle is ECD. Um, Obviously, children's journey and their learning and their development starts a long time before they reach school. And it really just struck me that without those foundations in place, children and especially more disadvantaged children are likely to really struggle when they get to school. So I was really excited to apply some of the work we've done, some of the litigation and the research into the constitutional rights and duties in the context of education to take that and apply it in the ECD context to really make sure that everyone has access to quality ECD services. And then in terms of my real reform work, it just was super clear that real reform has been a real leader in this space in bringing in the voices of practitioners and also in looking at how legal reforms, changes to the law can really facilitate better support, higher quality and more access to ECD services. So I've also been really delighted to be part of Real Reform. It's a real pleasure to work collaboratively with a mix of different people, economists, lawyers, practitioners, um, and bring together all those perspectives to try and generate real change in the ECD space. Thanks, Tatiana. Yolisa, I'd like to come to you next. I know that you are relatively new in the early childhood development space. So from your fresh perspective, I'd like to know what has been the most surprising thing for you in the ECD sector? Sure, I'm going to say, I am an activist lawyer by nature. And I think activism is mainly founded on education. And the early childhood education is really like key in terms of ensuring the, in the improvement and um, access to education in South Africa. So for him now, Kalagam Ungena Kindus given in early childhood, basically in South Africa, uh, I sort of realized that Konya in doing a culture, sometimes Abanyabandwana, Abangawaz, Abazalbab, Babene Mali, Abazuya at all PECT centers, abazuye skolen. So a question needs abandwana, abasuga gimaka, shelikle, we bang and abazali malu, but other S fees is funny ECT centers. 
So it actually needs if Nege Pasha Lebalinde um until Fika we bazu bazu for another free education from grade one, one came under lay. So even and the E and then the Ban and the Tibenum Jaga pool looking in Lum Sevens with Tibetan ACT. So that's the Wazu Sevens Zoom Tet, Nubonis and Balega Que early education in South Africa and Genjel is no was bas my putul quite in the access a better because but I figure So if I normally, ECT centers, but income. basic nutrition, So in the Mayam, no, 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 which brings us to this paper we're speaking about today in this episode. Tatiana, this paper is looking at the legal perspective that sets the foundation for this campaign by Real Reform for ECD. Could you please tell us the aims of the paper? So the aim of this paper was to really explore and clarify what are the rights and entitlements of young children within the constitution to nutrition and what are the state's duties um, to ensure that children get that nutrition. So the main argument of the paper is that young children do have a constitutional right to the nutrition they need to learn and develop and the state has duties to take reasonable and effective steps to immediately realise this right. You know, to give some context, currently in South Africa, we know that 27% of children are stunted, obesity is an increasing problem, and many children suffer from hidden hunger and don't get those micronutrients that they need to thrive. And while it's true that parents and grandparents or other caregivers have the primary responsibility for ensuring that a child gets adequate nutrition, we also know that many caregivers in South Africa live below the poverty line and are not always able to provide that nutrition that the child needs. So in these circumstances, the state has a clear duty to step in and take those reasonable and effective steps um, to realise the child's right. And I guess we also noted that many vulnerable children in South Africa, uh, they regularly gather together at early childhood development programs. So we think this offers a really effective delivery point for nutrition. And we argue that the Department for Basic Education should provide nutrition support to all ECD programs across the country, whether those programs are registered or unregistered or what. So that's it, really. That's the main thrust of the paper. Real Reform for ECD is doing quite amazing work, if I can say so, in terms of the multiple campaigns that the steering committee is running from the Make Local Government Worked for ECD campaign to the standalone ECD Act that we are working towards in the future. So much work has been done so far. And what brings us today is this new campaign that is the right to nutrition. Njanja, I want to start off with you. Could you just tell us about Real Reform for ECD and how you got involved with the movement? Um, so when, I think it was during COVID time when Uusislerato Duma, uh, I don't know how she got into Real Reform, but I was actually nominated by her to be part of the steering committee um, since um, I think it's two to three years now. 
So that's how I became part of e real reform. Seeing also the work that was done during COVID-19, where we were fighting for the, the stimulus um, relief fund, and some of our people actually gained uh, something from aerial reform during that time. So that's why I was excited to be part of it. And then again, um, Real reform for, for me means like we you guys are fighting for us. You are fighting for our kids, you know. So something most of the time with ECD practitioners, we are not noticed. Nobody sees us. The the decisions are basically made on our behalf, you know. So when I saw real reform uh, taking us as AMA practitioners to be part of the state committee, I was actually very excited to be part of it. Thank you, Ntantla. It has been so exciting to work with both you and Sisonke ECD Forum in Orange Farm, Johannesburg. Tatiana, I'd like to turn to you as we get into the content of the research today. Since this paper is looking at the legal perspective on early nutrition, I know the most appropriate place to start is with the Constitution. So can you please tell us how does the Constitution of South Africa lay the foundational argument in this paper? Yeah, absolutely. So in the paper, we consider a number of different constitutional rights, but we kind of come down on the conclusion that sections 28.1c and 291A of the Constitution provide the strongest legal foundation for this right of young children to nutrition. So let me start with section 28. Section 28 basically protects children's rights, and it clearly and explicitly states that every child has the right to basic nutrition. Under section 28, children are the only rights holders, and that means a person under the age of 18 years. We do note in the paper that there are not um, any special rights accorded under Section 28 to young children in the ECD phase. But we do think it's arguable that the precise content of the rights under Section 28 will vary depending on the child's age and their developmental stage. So in our view, Section 28 should be interpreted to mean that children from birth to school going age must be provided with the minimum amount and type of nutrition that they need for their holistic development. So that's section 28. Section 29 is perhaps a little bit less um, obvious, uh, but section 29, 1A of the constitution gives everyone the right to basic education. And of course, you may say, well, what does that have to do with nutrition? And although that section doesn't explicitly mention nutrition, we do think it can be interpreted to include the nutrition needed for early learning and development. And I guess there are two key steps in this argument. So the first step um, is that Section 29, according to recent case law, gives people the right to the nutrition they need in order to learn. And the second step is that we think there's quite a persuasive argument that basic education includes not just schooling, but also early learning. If I could get into that a little bit more. It's really well established in the existing case law that the right under Section 29 includes things like infrastructure, transport, textbooks, and other things that are needed to make education a meaningful and effective right. And adding to that existing case law, there was a recent case brought by Equal Education regarding the National School Nutrition Programme. And in that case, the court made super clear that one of the components of the right to basic education is the nutrition necessary for learning. 
So that's the first step of the argument. And then the second step is that ECD, or at the very least its early learning component, is increasingly considered to be part and parcel of the right to basic education. And there are some international instruments which kind of recognize this. So, for example, the African Commission on Human and People's Rights has um, endorsed a more kind of generous approach to interpreting the right to basic education. And it's said that it encompasses preschool as well as primary, secondary, tertiary education. So this doesn't explicitly mention ECD, but it does mention preschool and not just primary school. And then on top of that, Professor Sandra Fredman, who's at the University of Oxford, along with some others, have analysed other international instruments um, and treaties. And although they didn't find that any treaties expressly referred to ECD, they did note that education under those treaties should be directed towards the full development of a child's personality, talents and abilities, and towards the preparation of the child to participate in society. And given that it's widely acknowledged now that learning begins at birth, and also given the broad acceptance of the fundamental importance of early learning, especially for more disadvantaged children, they conclude that there is a right to early childhood care and education implicit in these international treaties. So from all of this, we think it follows that the right to basic education includes a right to the nutrition required for early learning and development. Thank you for that answer, Tatiana. To put it simply, if I may, you are saying that yes, there is a right for young children to have nutrition. You're saying that the research is depending on section 28, which states that all children have the right to nutrition, and section 29, which says that everyone has the right to basic education, which we're reading in to include nutrition. I think it is pretty clear, as you have put it, that the law is there, particularly in the Constitution. And this plays into the narrative in South Africa that we have one of the best constitutions in the world. However, we, however, we know that what is reflected on the ground is not necessarily the same as what is reflected in the papers of the Constitution. Nkantla, perhaps can I turn to you for you to paint us a picture of what is happening on the ground in terms of access to nutrition? Um, well, Tepo, you know, funded ECD centers get something from the government, but what about those unregistered centers that are not getting anything? Especially us at the townships where the school fees is like 300 grand per child, you have 30 kids, you have to pay practitioners, you have to do maintenance, you have to feed the children as well. Um, it's, it's really a challenge for us to be feeding like proper nutrition. Sometimes we don't even understand or know what is good nutrition for the children. We also need training for that, you know. Even with funded centers, um, we cook, but we are not sure if the meals are nutritious enough for the growth of the young ones. Thanks, Ntlantla. Yolisa, I want to turn to you next. Ntlantla paints the picture that the reality on the ground is not as perfect as perhaps our law might seem to be. 
However, this does not mean that we disregard the law completely. It is still very important for us to look to the law and see how we can understand it for it to support um, us in our communities. And something that I would like for you to clarify for us, Yolisa, is the wording that the Constitution uses. As Tatiana said, we are looking at section 28 and 29, and words such as immediately realizable, and access to and right to are used in the constitution. How do these words affect the person getting the right? So is it always the, the case that if a right is there, someone will get the right? Um, okay. Um, this other part, because of enough resources the state must respect protect promote and fulfill um, the rights in the Bill of Rights. So, Londoleo, Uholmand of Negashonipe and Enze, a consegue subana, abandu, nabanduani, nagumbi, baya, fuman, oranya, malungelo, baya, kuselegil, and guayabas, fumanis into, ezi, fnegebabes, bias, fumanis, fananim, fundo, quagunya no good. So, Uguza, Kuzi, Gulengela, Amagama, Osula Sulangai. Reasonable measures, progressive realization, within available resources. So, Zinjel and Jezo, Shula Shula, Ezo, Uguba, Lendo, we Funa, Uganya Lendo, Selungelin, Lugway Fumana, we Fumana Ganja. Cocal, Ingaba, we Fumana, Uholmend Equas, we and the Londoday, Oganya, we Fumana, Gogogamba, Oganya, Fnegui Fumani, Galum Zuz. So, section 28 and section 29, Galama Lungelo, CT, Kufunege, which is Lendo City, immediately realizable. So, Wonga Banduan, Baselungelo, Loguba, Babe, Bafumana, Ukuja, Ngogomka, Sisekulo, section 28. Ogosbini, Baselungelo, Loguba, Bafumane, Imfundo, Sisek, Ngalumzuz, Bafanelege, Bafumba, Fumana, Ngalumfundo, and in the legacy, Chongeng Ayolendo, and usually constitution, a palwing ayo. Um, by Tetanga Gumbing and Betty Benenoba, Banduan, Abanding Bafumanuja, nah. I till Lendoba, suppose Bafumanuja, Ina. So there is no location of accessing nutrition. What kind of constitution is Kalaba? And Bakwazi futhi babafumana ukutya belapho kwezondawo ezo. So ngokwendlela ngendlela ezohlukene iHolmende uyazama uqaphela ba singenza njani khona ukuze abantwana bafumane ukutya ngokwendawo ezifikeleleka ezifana ke nezikolo ne 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 centers ke ezizwe kwendawo ezohlukene ehlukene. 
kodwa ixesha elinintsa siphaphela uba umthetho ngokunjengalendlela uthongayo ba uthetha le into ithethayo kodwa kwakhona osiso abafana nono mhlanhla bayibona bakwenzeka nono ihlaleni sometimes umthetho akwenzekile ndofana bayiyenzeka that's why ke ngokuba khona abantu abafana no Tatiana from Equal Education Law Center ne ne platforms ifana no rules form ekufuneke zibe khona to ensure that they support the movements on the ground in terms of uba bazamuncede sana noba abantwana bangafumana njani ukutya kwaye nemfundo esesiseko engosi yolisa if i may i'd like to just put what you said in other words to ensure understanding So what you are sharing with us is that the constitution states that the state must fulfill protect and promote all rights in the constitution which highlights the importance of all the rights that are in the constitution. However you go on to say that the state recognizes that there are limited resources that they have a meaning that what is in the constitution cannot always be implemented immediately because of the lack of resources and capacity of the state therefore there is wording within the constitution that directs us to which rights are immediately realizable meaning that the state ought to work on them as soon as possible and rights that speak to the state making them accessible meaning that there's more leeway within that Therefore what we're looking at when we're looking at the right to nutrition and the right to basic education we're looking at rights that are immediately realizable meaning that the constitution envisions these rights as some of the highest priorities that ought to be seen through thank you for that yolisa i hope i've captured you correctly tatiana i want to turn to you next Could you please tell us why does the campaign look at early learning programs as a space where nutrition can and should be provided because it can be said that there are other forms of nutrition support currently being provided by the state. Yeah, it's a really great question, Sapo. Um and you're right, there are other forms of nutrition support out there already. For example, there's the child support grant which is paid directly to caregivers and they can use it for food amongst other things. There are also at least sort of two main measures that the Department of Basic Education is already using as well to meet the nutritional needs of young children. So first we've referred to the National School Nutrition Program and that program provides meals for children in school including in grade R at primary schools. But it's really important to note that it doesn't extend to children attending ECD programs. So that means that it doesn't meet the needs of the millions of children in their early development phase. And then there's also at least for registered programs the ECD subsidy and the Department for Basic Education is now responsible for administering this subsidy. But the two main problems here are that its value is too low at just 17 rand per eligible child per day and second its reach is too limited. Critically, unregistered programs are officially not eligible despite the fact that they tend to serve more vulnerable children who are in greater need of support. And I think here again this um case that we've mentioned equal education's case on the national school nutrition program is really helpful and instructive. In that case, the court emphasized that schools are critical points of contact for reaching vulnerable children with no other state service that can connect with children on such a scale and with such regularity. And while ECD programs are not as well attended as schools, 
we do think that they too offer a similarly critical point of contact for reaching those vulnerable children. And again, this is particularly true in the case of unregistered programs. So often an unregistered program will be found in a rural area or in townships, and they will therefore be likely kind of places where more disadvantaged children will gather together. And so that means that they will likely offer a particularly effective delivery point for meeting um, the rights of those vulnerable children to basic nutrition. And on top of that, we've been talking as well about the link with the right to basic education. And if you feed children at ECD programs, that's going to help to ensure that they're sufficiently nourished to engage with and benefit from early learning opportunities that they get at those programs. So, yeah, if children are eating well, it's going to help them to think well. So that's going to be another um, important benefit of using ECD programs as a delivery point. What is a healthy meal? Food and veggies. Can you explain to me human rights? Hmm. I have the right to good health care. I have the right to good and enough food. I have the right to good quality education. In terms of the ECD subsidy, what we know is that the government provides 17 rand per child per day to registered early learning programs, of which 6 rand 80 is intended for nutrition. But this amount does not reach all children. Only 41% of early learning programs are registered. Just 33% of early learning programs report to be receiving the subsidy. And only 15% of children from the poorest households have access to the subsidy. So it is clear from these numbers that although it can be said that some nutrition support is being provided through the subsidy, it does not do enough. With that in mind, and Tantla, I'd like to call you in here for the next question. How do unsupported centers currently provide the nutrition? Currently, Zeppo, we are getting school fees from parents. And this is the main income that we get like on a monthly basis. And sometimes it's a bit difficult because during the major holidays, January, the school fees doesn't come in nicely. June, July, the, the school fees doesn't come in nicely. December, the children go and um, there is no income for the center most of the time. But we also get um, donations from other stakeholders like ShopRite, Pick and Pay, um, Tiger Brands, wherever that you can actually go as an ECD and go get donations. But the main, main source of income to feed the children is from the school fees that we're getting from the parents. Oof. It must be so challenging living in that uncertain reality of depending on parents paying school fees, especially in communities where parents do not have the money. What we know is that where most centers are unregistered are in places where parents are unable to be paying high school fees that can be used to support nutrition. Could you please just speak a little bit more on the reality of depending on parents paying fees? 
it is um, mostly very bad because we have a lot of children also that are non-payers that we can't say, no child, please stay at home because you cannot pay school fees. They need the education. And some of them, the only nutrition that they get is from the daycare center where the the parents maybe are depending on social grants or some of them are foreigners and they don't even receive that social grant. And we can't say to the children, no, stay away from from the ECD and not get education and not get the, the, the small food that we are actually giving them. So, yeah, that is quite a challenge as well. Also, looking at the registration processes that the government wants, the money has to come from the school fees that we are also collecting from the parents. And the registration process is long and it's very expensive as well. Thank you for that input, Ntantla. Tatiana, I want to come to you next. The campaign is specifically calling for the Department of Basic Education to support nutrition at both registered and unregistered centers. But what is your response to someone who would say registration ought to come first and then people will get subsidy and nutrition support? Um, I guess to give a little bit of background to this registration point, As we've said a few times, ECD centres are currently required to register with the Department of Basic Education, and that's provided for by a law called the Children's Act. And I guess the idea of registration is that it helps the government to regulate ECD programmes, and it also currently is the sort of trigger that unlocks funding. But the really big problem here, as Nontalantla has spoken to, is that currently the process for getting registered is extremely burdensome, extremely onerous, and we think um, unreasonably so. And it's very difficult for under-resourced ECD programs in townships or rural areas to get registered because of burdensome requirements around infrastructure and planning and so on. So, you know, the EELC has spoken to principals of ECD centres who have been trying for years to get registration and others who feel it's not even worth trying. And this creates a dire catch-22. The programmes that are most in need of support and that serve the most vulnerable children are currently the least able to access state funding. And I think if the DBE were to respond and say, you know, register first and then you'll get the subsidy, I think the answer is really that just because a program is not registered, the state's duty to the children attending that program does not fall away. In fact, one could argue that the duty is actually heightened. The Constitutional Court has said that measures that the state takes, which fail to respond to the needs of the most desperate people in society, are likely to be unreasonable and unlawful. And as we've said repeatedly, it's typically the most vulnerable children who are at the unregistered programs. And so if you're not putting any measures in place to reach those children, um, then potentially the, the steps you are taking are not actually going to meet your constitutional duties. Thank you, Tatiana. You were as clear as you were passionate, and I really felt that deeply. If I may, what you are saying is the right of the child to nutrition does not fall away depending on the location of the child. So whether the child is at a registered center or an unregistered center, both children still have the right to nutrition. And that is where the point of departure is in this legal paper. Thank you for that, Tatiana. 
Nkantra, I'm interested to know whether you have any input on this. Yes, um, actually, I wanted to add something as well in regards to what Tatiana has said. Um, sometimes it's not even the ECD centers that is wrong here, but the bylaws are just too much for us. Say, for, in, for instance, you are at an informal settlement. Your sensor, yes, it's a mkuku, but it's nice, it's tiled, it's got toilets and everything. The environmental health will not go in that informal settlement because now the place is not on the map. The government doesn't know the place, but yet there are children staying in those areas. So um, that is also a, quite a big challenge. Like in Orange Farm, we have the RDP houses. They are government houses, but we don't have title deeds for them. So how are we going to be able to register our centers if the government is also failing us on the other hand? Thank you, Ntlantla. Yolisa, do you have anything to share on this point? Um, yeah, I think where you say it's not really about the centers, but it's it's mainly about the children. And I think the first point of reference to that part is to understand that the, the constitutional obligation that speaks to nutrition is not the one that is tied to an institution. It is the one that belongs to a child. So Ukuba Bandwana Banga Biko Gwisend Ukanye Bako Gwisenda Ayuduli Indoba Uholomendu ne Kanduva Kanduva Holomende Lukba Abandana Mabafumanu. The the moment you establish that there's 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 a need for that child to access nutrition, then that immediate need has to be met by the government. Whether where that child is located, it's not a matter of the constitutional argument. The fact that there's a need, an immediate need, and we've agreed that it's immediately realizable, these children need to be provided with nutrition with as a matter of agency, no matter where they are located. So that that is why that is where this entire obligation sits. And this is the duty that the Department of Basic Education has sort of inherited from the Department of Social Development as well. So Thank you very much. And I'll just repeat what you said for emphasis in that the state's obligation is linked to the child and not to the institution. Thank you for that. Yeah, that was really brilliant clarity from Yulisa and from you, Tsepo. I guess the only thing I would add is that the bottom line is that sections 28 and 29 require the state to take reasonable and effective steps to meet the child's nutritional needs whenever parents and caregivers are unable to do so. And that applies regardless of whether the child is in a registered ECD program, an unregistered ECD program, or in fact, in no program at all. The circumstances of the child will probably have a bearing on what type of measure is reasonable for the state to adopt but it doesn't negate that obligation to put in place reasonable and effective measures in the first place. Now that we have this clarity on what the constitution says about early nutrition, Tatiana, could you please provide more detail on how does this find manifestation in our legislation and policy? Yes, so as we've spoken about and as you mentioned, there are really clear obligations in the constitution on the part of the state to ensure that young children get the nutrition they need to learn and develop. That being said, though, when you get down to the level of um, laws and policies, of legislation and policies, 
it does get a little bit more fragmented. And we're not currently seeing a law that very clearly says, Department of Basic Education, you must roll out an ECD nutrition program. What we do have, for example, um, is Section 4.3 of the National Health Act. And that does say, um, state, you must provide free health services, including basic nutrition, to pregnant and lactating women and to children under the age of six. And on a literal reading, that does apply to the state as a whole, but it's not you know, in a crystal clear way saying, Department of Basic Education, you need to roll out a program that provides nutrition to all children at ECD programs. We also have Section 93 of the Children's Act, which gives the uh, members of the Executive Councils for Basic Education a power to provide and fund ECD programs. And again, we could argue that this should be interpreted to include the provision and funding of nutrition for children in ECD programs. One thing I would say there is that Section 93 contains a power, not a duty, and arguably it would be better in terms of holding government to account if that were a duty. Um, so we can say, you know, this is what you must do and we're going to hold you account if you don't do it. We don't think that legally speaking, there's anything to stop uh, the Department for Basic Education from starting to roll out um, nutrition support to all UCD programs. And in fact, we think they should do so without delay. But it might be helpful if in the longer term there were reform of the laws and policies just to give a really clear mandate for a program of that kind, to give really clear roles and responsibilities and to give really clear ways of holding government to account for the delivery of that nutrition support. All that being said, what we're calling for as real reform is for the DBE to, without delay, create an ECD nutrition program that ensures that all children who are eligible for the child support grant and who attend an ECD program, whether registered or unregistered, are fed meals adequate to meet their developmental needs. Tatiana, could you please guide us through what the paper recommends? Yes. So first and foremost, as I said, to roll out this nutrition support to all programs. And I guess also in the shorter term to create a policy to cover that rollout, just to make sure everyone knows what they're doing, what the timeframes are, and so on. Um, also to ensure that there's effective oversight on the Department for Basic Education's part of these other mechanisms we've touched on that also deliver nutrition support to young children. So I've mentioned the child support grant. There's also some support provided at health clinics by the Department of Health. Um, and we think that really the DBE should be giving oversight of all those different measures to ensure that they're working well together and that, yeah, there's really effective nutrition support in all these different settings for vulnerable young children. And in the short term, that could be done through actually existing mechanisms for coordination, like the National Interministerial Committee, the ECD. In the longer term, we've spoken a lot about the issues that this registration process gives rise to. And in the longer term, we think that the DBE must simplify this registration process, which will actually reduce the need potentially for nutrition support to be provided to unregistered programs. And in addition, the availability 
of and access to ECD programmes must be expanded. I'm not sure we've said yet that only 34% of children are currently enrolled in a programme of any kind, whether registered or unregistered. So that means that the vast majority of children are actually not attending a programme. And that has you know, potentially quite serious effects for their early learning and development, and also means that they're not actually going to benefit from nutrition support provided at ECD programmes if they're not attending any ECD programme. Um, and so, yeah, by both simplifying the registration process and taking other steps to expand access, that's going to really help as well. And that's one of our other calls to action. Tatiana, one of the interesting parts of this paper is that it includes a comparative analysis that looks into other jurisdictions such as Brazil, Kenya and India and how the right to nutrition is legislated in those countries. What can be learned from this comparative analysis um, in terms of how South Africa moves forward? Absolutely, yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. What we saw when we looked at these other jurisdictions was that some countries like, for example, Kenya and Brazil have much more detailed and comprehensive laws and policies covering nutrition support for children. And that can help the delivery of that support to be much more effective and also gives a basis for holding government to account. So I think one of the clearest recommendations arising from that comparative research is that to accompany the rollout of nutrition supported ECD programs, there should be quite a detailed policy to go along with that. And then ideally, there should also arguably be an actual basis in primary legislation. So not just in a policy, but actually in law to entrench that nutrition support, to ensure that it carries on into the future and to provide a strong basis for accountability. So this might, for example, include a clear and explicit duty on the part of the state or specifically the DBE to provide that nutrition support to children in ECD programs. And you've mentioned earlier on in the episode the fact that there are these nutrition guidelines developed by the Department of Health. And again, there could potentially be a legislative basis for those guidelines to help ensure that they're actually complied with and met. So that would be the first thing coming out of the comparative research. The second thing that came out really powerfully for me, particularly um, looking at the example of Brazil, is the way that law can help facilitate inclusivity. So in Brazil, the laws are very clear that if children have certain health conditions or disabilities that mean they need differentiated or individual nutritional care and support, they must be provided with a tailored menu to meet their needs. And Brazil also includes in the legislation a very clear role for nutritionists in guiding what that individualized support would look like. And I think South Africa might want to look at considering uh, similar provisions in our legislation um, to make sure that all children are actually getting the support they need, including children with disabilities and other vulnerabilities. So I think those are the two kind of key things coming out of the comparative research for me. Thank you so much for that answer, Tatiana. And as a final question, I will ask to all three of my guests today, what are you most grateful for in the ECD sector and what would you like to see improved? 
I am grateful to be, you know, in a space with children. Children are different. You get children that don't want to talk. You get hyperactive children. I love to be in a space where I can develop children. I can assist children to to be physically fit, uh, mentally fit, spiritually fit, and also emotionally. The thing I'm most grateful for is people, especially women like Nontlantla, who have been carrying ECD service provision with very limited support for years and years and years. I am enormously grateful and humbled and amazed every time I go into an ECD centre and see the wonderful work they're doing. What I'm mostly grateful for is access to the tool, which is the law, to ensure that we utilize the tool for the betterment of proper or better delivery of early childhood education in South Africa. Nkosi Olisa, thank you so much to all three of the guests. I'm grateful for having had the opportunity to facilitate this conversation and having been part of this campaign. What I would like to see going forward is as you will hear in the other episodes, more and more collaboration around um, early childhood development in general, the holistic nature of early childhood development. As we said at the top of this episode, so much work needs to be done and it will only be done through more collaboration. That brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening. Before we wrap, I just wanted to pull out some highlights. This podcast episode aims to discuss Real Reform for ECD's Right to Nutrition campaign. This campaign urges the Department of Basic Education to provide nutrition support to all eligible children attending early learning programs, regardless of whether the program is registered or not. We must not neglect the most vulnerable children, especially those at unregistered programs who stand the most to gain from nutrition support. This particular episode looked at one of the three research papers produced by Real Reform for ECD. This was the paper on the legal perspective on right to early nutrition. This paper explored the legal basis of children's right to basic nutrition and the state's duties in respect of the right. The recommendations pulled from this papers are for the state to create an ECD nutrition program and to develop an ECD policy that makes the provision of nutrition support a legal requirement. It must also be noted that the DBE must implement these reforms while also simplifying the registration process and supporting programs to get registered. Another recommendation that comes from this paper is that the DBE ought to activate an effective coordination and oversight mechanism at national, provincial and municipal levels. In order to find out more about the Right to Nutrition campaign and also to access the full research papers, please visit Real Reform for ECD's website on www.ecdreform.org.za. Here you will find all three research papers and a synthesized document that summarizes the research into one document. Again, thank you for listening. Until we meet again, Goodbye.